okay people so we got a special echoes from the void for you today because we are speaking with actor producer writer voice actor now author right it's jim motherfucking piddock right so um yeah jim joins us for a conversation because he's yeah he's got a new book dropping so if you've enjoyed his films his theater work whatever it is people let's listen to the man himself all right but before we do that just one little thing for you people one tiny little thing all right Okay, people, so big motherfucking news because after, you know, pretty single-handedly keeping motherfuckers going through lockdown, one of your favorite authors, that's right, people, you might not realize it, but Luke Smithard, he's one of your favorite authors and he is dropping has dropped a new book and uh yeah i can't wait to get this sitting in my audible library as we speak and the new book is the stone giant and you might think to yourself hmm the stone giant hold on a minute does that mean yes it does people it is the third entry in Smithered's Stone Man series. Dum, dum, so, um, yeah, and that's the thing, right? In 2020, 2020, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it's so long ago. But in 2020, right, he started off with the man with all the answers. So that came as a little surprise in June. And then we got news that The Empty Man was coming. Book two in a Stone Man series. So that then dropped in November, which was a pretty great. So, yeah, now we have book three, The Stone Giant, which... Now, I, I think at the time he did say he was working on a next. It's kind of slipped my mind, but shit does slip my mind. So when I got the email to be like, guess what? This is coming. It was like, yo, okay. So the, um, the you know, the breakdown is this. In Coventry, Eric and Harry watch helplessly as they find themselves face-to-face with their latest arrival at Ground Zero. Tired and coming to terms with Eric's devastating injuries, how can two men hope to contain such an indestructible force, let alone escape the impenetrable energy shield that now envelops them and the city? In the north of the country, Maria and her new friends race towards the Isle of Skye and hopefully answers. What is the secret behind Maria's own connection to the stone men? What is the purpose of the mysterious prism 
and can it be destroyed? What has been happening at Project Onburus for the last five years? And has it led to anything that can be deployed against a new incarnation? The stakes are about to rise dramatically, so much so that the fate of the country and humanity itself hangs in the balance. Maria, Eric, and the rest of survivors of the fourth arrival will need to uncover the truth and band together in a desperate last stand against an unfathomable threat. But how can mere humans hope to resist the unstoppable power of the strongman? Oh, <laughs> you know, right? If that hasn't got you pumped, people, I don't know what will. Oh, hold on a second. I think I do know what will, right? Because there's a sale. There is a sale. So if you're hearing this and being like, yo, I want to check this out, but it's book three. I haven't for some reason done book one or two. Ha <laughs> ha. No problem. Because, yeah, for one week, both books are 99p or 99 cents, depending on what side of the pond you are, people. And if that's not good enough, all of Smithers' other books are on sale as well. And trust me, yo, if you enjoy the Stone Man series, you're going to love You See the Monster. You're going to love the physics of the dead, weird, dark, the man with all the answers, a head full of knives. You know what I mean? Kill someone, how to be a vigilante, right? And all the others. They're great. They're great. And listen, you know people. If I don't enjoy something, I'm not going to throw around words like great, thoroughly enjoyed. You know what I mean? Ain't going to do it, right? I'd be nice, but I ain't going to really pour it on. And these books, honestly, I love them all. I have recommended, I have bought, right? These for my peoples. That's how much I dig them, man. So, you know what I mean? Listen, you definitely, you definitely want to check this shit out. Because, yo, know, when I've given people the stone man, they're like, yo, thank you. You know what I mean? So, hey, you're going to love it. The Empty Man was fire too. And, yeah, I'm going to get myself into the stone giant. And, uh, people, if you want to hear from the man himself... We spoke to uh, Luke last year, last year or the year before. We spoke to Luke. He's on the podcast, right? You know, I mean, I've put a link in the episode so you can do that. Links to um all the books that will be there as well for um you you know your physical, your audible, right? And you should check out the audible because yeah, you can't beat an audio book, right? So people. It is, um, yeah, 
It's kind of Stone Man Day, right? It is kind of the Stone Man Series Day. So, people, do yourself a favor and go check out these books because, yo, it'll be the best thing you've done since listening to the motherfucking podcast, right? So there you go, people. There you go. The Stone Giant. Okay, people. So now we've done that. It is time to get into our sit down from with Jim Piddock. So people enjoy and let's get this popping off, shall we? Okay, people. So I am joined by Jim. We going with the French pronunciation, Jim, or um, just the, the, the book standard English? Book standard English. Go for it. Okay. We're, we're Jim Piddock. Yeah. Actor, writer, producer, man of many hats. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you so Yeah, people say, do you, how do you pronounce it in America? They, I go, it's, it's Piddock in English, it's Piddock in America, but most people just call me shithead, you know, so <laughs> whatever, you, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you're here promoting your new book. Right? Yes, my first book. I've written lots of screenplays and lots of uh, television shows and... Um, this was a very different experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so caught with your pants down and other tales from Hollywood. For, yes, from a life in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's um, listen, I started out to write this as a fun, kind of jaunty, irreverent romp through my four decades in, in Hollywood and, and other aspects of show business in New York theatre. And, and then as it sort of came out, uh, it's... Um, it sort of had a slightly deeper philosophical thing come through, which I was kind of pleasantly surprised by, and people seem to be responding to. Um, I certainly didn't write it as a self-help book or a philosophy tome, but but it kind of, I, I, the, the sort of themes suddenly started popping up of a sort of search for family and what family means, and the importance of making choices every second of every day of your life, and what that means, and how that will impact who you are and what your destiny is. So uh, amidst all the fart and poo stories, there's, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's, at the beginning, you, you talk about how it came from you doing a Q&A. Yeah. Right? So how did that come about? Well, the Screen Actors Guild asked me to do this evening called Inside the Industry, Let's Talk About It. And I was interviewed by a Wall Street Journal reporter for about uh, 45, it was supposed to be 45 minutes, in a 200-seat theatre in Beverly Hills. And I, uh, I don't know why, I think I was quite busy at the time. I didn't really prepare anything, but I thought I'll just tell some stories. I've got a lot of fun stories and sort of stupid stories at my expense in show business that have some sort of bearing on people who are either interested in the business or in the business. And so I went and, and it was, we had a really good time. And, and I think we went well over an hour and then another half hour of Q&A. And I came away thinking, I really, really enjoyed that. And the audience seemed to really love it. And I hadn't done any theatre for, God, probably 12 years. And I thought, maybe I will sort of, you know, take a break from film and TV and do this as a one-man show. And I started writing it as that. And then after a very short space of time, I realised I had about a 10-hour long show, which was not going to fly um, for an audience or me. So then, then I thought, well, it's probably a book, and I'll maybe distill that down and do a show later at some point in my life if I can still waddle around a stage. Uh, and then, and then the, the, 
the pandemic hit and I had what would have probably taken me five years, took me five months to write. <laughs> so what was like, what was the difference for you from this? You know, you've written a whole host of things for the screen. Yeah. So what was it like making that transition from writing that stuff to writing a book? It's hard. I mean, I really came away with a newfound admiration for novelists and, and, and writers that write books. First of all, it takes you way longer, way longer. And secondly, it, you know, writing screenplays and television is, is a craft more than anything. Writing, mm. writing books, you know, you're a real writer if you can write a decent book. And, and I, I knew I could write. I knew that much. Uh, and I, I try and keep the book conversational. And it's the way I speak, mostly. So there's quite a bit of swearing in it. No, not a lot, but there's some, you know, it's just the way I would pepper my normal conversation. Um, and and I think it was hard from the aspect that I generally look forwards and, or, you know, right in front of me or forwards in my life. Mm. And it, was, it was weird looking over my shoulder at the past. I mean, I, I was uh, in my 60s by then, you know, when the pandemic hit. And so it's actually quite good timing because... You know, we, we, we kind of race through life a million miles an hour, and it's not terrible to get off the merry-go-round every so often and have a look around at what, what's really, you don't have time to see normally. And so it was really good from that aspect. And, and you can assess, you know, what, what your life has been or means and, and, and whether it has any value and, and whether you've got anything fun to pass on to people in an entertaining way. And, and that was a real key for me because... I didn't think that anyone was particularly interested in hearing the Jim Piddock story because I'm not particularly interested in hearing it. But I did think they would be interested in my kind of uh, take on how I've tr navigated through the turbulent waters of, of Hollywood and Broadway and various other things in life. It's not all about show business. And, and, um, and, and that I wanted the book to appeal to everyone as opposed to, as one writes a film, you don't just write it for, okay, people that, like horses or people who like football or whatever, you write it for a, a broad audience. And, and even if the subject matter is, is, is a narrow scope, you try and make it as universal as possible. So I, I was quite rigid and strict. If a story or a chapter, I think it's 38 chapters in the book and an introduction and a foreplay by Eric Idle, as opposed to a forward, I think there's not a chapter in there that doesn't have a story or an anecdote that doesn't have some value. Uh, as, as, as for the reader otherwise it just would be and then I did this and then I was in this film and then I wrote that film and mm. that's dull to me that's boring and the same thing I didn't linger on my childhood or who my parents or grandparents and all that was uh, I mean I've skipped through it if there was a good story and and there are some good stories early on particularly because I discovered my grandfather worked for Charlie Chaplin and I had no idea he was even an actor you know so there was all those sort of things um that, that came out so so yeah i think and hope and it seems to be a book for for everybody which is lovely um and i was interviewed last week by a guy who'd spent 20 years in the u.s military and had nothing to do with show business and um uh, we share similar political ground viewpoints and that's about it but but you know he said he totally related to it and it was as a, as a book about life and i found that very very heartily encouraging because otherwise, this is a guy from Brooklyn who is diametrically opposed to me. And you'd think you'd put us together and go, what would these two people have to talk about? And, um, and it, was, it was really exciting. It was really exciting to, um, 
to kind of get that feedback and have a we ended up having an hour and a half kind of podcast conversation it was fantastic oh that's great man yeah. um what kind of when you were doing that looking back on life kind of thing were there incidents where you think oh man I should have done that or and made you reach out to people and you know uh, revisit things so, some I mean a lot of the stories are at my expense things yeah. I've done that were ridiculously stupid and what I learned from it or didn't learn from it I mean <laughs> caught with my pants down comes from an incident where I literally got caught in public with my pants down and I mean not just in the American sense of pants trousers underpants uh so so a British audience know exactly what I mean there so, and it didn't happen once. It happened three times in my life. Once in England, once in LA, and once in the south of France. And someone asked me, they said, didn't you learn from the first time? And all I could say was evidently not. <laughs> uh, and then I realized also that the title was a, a kind of a, a metaphor for my life and for, for, for what we all go through in life, is that we all get caught with our pants down, whether we like it or not. Um, and, and, and often in amusing situations. These were not criminal situations, they were amusing situations, <laughs> I hate to add. Um, so, so I think that that's, that's where the title came from, and that's, uh, that's where I kind of felt there were lessons to be learned. But no, but no I think my conclusion, um, without giving too much away in the book, is that, is that you know, I, I feel like I've taken risks in, in certain areas. You know, I'm not a, a risk taker physically because I'm a coward. But I'm, um, and I'm not really a risk taker with money. I've been very prudent and, and, and sort of sensible. I'm, I'm very conservative in terms of how I build my, my money. And uh, so I, I think that the, the risks I took were creatively and career-wise. I mean, I left England at the age of 24 with $100 in my pocket. Um, after, you know, starting a career, I was worked for a couple of years in repertory theatre in England. And and I didn't intend to stay in America. I was offered a job teaching and directing for, for three months. I thought it'd be nice just to get away mm. uh, after my father had died and, and stuff was going on. So it, it, it kind of, the conclusion is again, that everything is, you're just making these choices every minute of every, every second of every day of your life. And, and they, they are, they, that's what defines you. And, and I, I think people, it's not an original thought that I'm just expressing there, but, but I think I do kind of, express it in the book in a way that may be a little unique because it's from my perspective um but that i don't you know i know it sounds awful but people say you know do you have major regrets i have regrets when things went wrong but i don't ha have regrets that they did go wrong in the sense that you know that's part mm. of them and those reasons why it happened i mean there are things awful things that happen that i talk about in the book uh that impacted me in various ways but but that that they all add up to who you are and, and it's how you respond to those things and how you deal with them i mean you know i didn't intend to get divorced you know with a, a nine-year-old daughter that was broke my heart that i did that and had to do it because a situation that had been wonderful had turned not so wonderful so you know those are those are things that you go well i wish it hadn't turned out that way but on the other hand uh it did and and, and my life is richer because of it in, in many ways and um and I, I think the harm done was minimised and the good done was maximised, if, if that makes sense. I don't yeah, know. no, of course, because I think sometimes you can think to yourself, oh, man, I wish that was different. But then it's like, wait, but if that wasn't there, who would I be now? Right. Exactly. So all these things shape us yeah. and, and mould us into 
who we are in this present moment in time. So you yeah. take one of those things away, what are yeah. you left with now? You know what I mean? I mean, we all wish we could be uh, more successful or more wealthy or more famous or whatever we, we wish for. But um, the reality is, you know, you, you and your destiny, are, are, you, are you do have control and, and, and you are meant to live the life you lead. And if you're not living the life you lead, that's your problem and you've got to sort it out. And, and that sounds harsh. But, you know, I mean, I know many people who have come from horrendous backgrounds and situations who have beaten the odds and only because they just say, like, you know, their personality led them to do that or their choices more than their personality. And, and, I, and I don't want to get preachy and I'm already sounding preachy, so it's too late. But but, um, but, but I do think that's important. And, um, and yeah, sure, there are things that I, I'd love to have become, you know, uh, even better known than I am. But but on the other hand, I write a chapter called I Know You From Somewhere, where my life, I have just enough ego stroking by people saying, oh, I loved you in something, and coming up to me and saying, you know, oh, oh I, I really enjoyed you in this, or I, I know you from somewhere. Uh, do you have you know kids at, at such a such a school, or do you work in the hardware store, or whatever it is? Uh, and then, you know, get into a conversation there. So I, I know a lot of people that are, that, that are, rich and famous and they always say the wealth I can take the fame I would get rid of in a second mm. they all hate it and I I'm in that lucky situation where I have just enough to make me feel good and feel that what I do has actually impacted a few people's lives and I entertain people in some way uh, but it doesn't I don't get bothered you know I don't have people coming up to me and disturbing my meals or whatever mm. just, I don't say oh you know hi or, or, they, or they wave and whatever and I don't know them but they sort of so I think that, that again, I don't know how I'd, how I'd have handled uh, fame at an early age. You know, it's, it can really, or even at a late age, it could really destroy some people's lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen countless child actors uh, just yeah, yeah. be destroyed by it all, you know, which is, yeah, yeah. it's always a shame. But you, you kind of wonder, like, what's in place to give people the tools to understand how to deal with this but yeah. you wonder that about so many different things right yeah yeah absolutely and and, and you know I, there's I think one point in the book when I was at a particular low point in my career and I had a, a, a couple of big highs I, I sort of started on Broadway and stuff and then I came to LA and was struggling you know to get work in TV and film at the beginning and then finally I broke in but I, I remember being saying I experienced the first pangs of extreme professional jealousy, which mm. um, which I think we all do. Jealousy is a human emotion. It's a horrible one, but it's a human emotion. And we all experience it on some level, uh, unless we're saints, and I certainly am not. Um, and so I, there was this time when I felt, here are these actors that were my peers in New York, or even came to me to ask how to do things, uh, and looked up to me. And now they're on hit TV shows, or they're starring in movies, um, and they're, you know, they've been thrown into the limelight and they're in the tabloids every week. And then I kind of now, with the hindsight, I, I talk about this, how, you know, 40 years later, I look at those people and very, very few of them I would be envious of now. A lot of them have, you know, fallen foul of their careers have fallen apart. They've lost all their money. They've had terrible health problems. Some of them have died. Some of them had dreadful drug problems or alcoholism all of which, touch wood, I have avoided. And so you go, who's the lucky guy now? You know, I mean, you can't 
you can't measure your life against other people's. You can only measure it against your own standards mm. and what you want. So that that's, again, it's sort of, yes, I wish certain things had happened here or there or whatever, but, um, you know, <laughs> je ne regret rien. I mean, I mean, I don't regret anything, really, and that sounds arrogant, and people say anyone who says I don't have any regrets is, is, is lying. Um, but honestly, um, yeah, I have regrets on certain ba bad behavior if it's on my behalf. And I have regrets that certain things happen to me, which is bad behavior on other people's behalf. But, um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's what happened. Yeah, no, de definitely. I mean, if you had taken that um, theater directorship up, you know yeah. what I mean? At the very start, things would have been completely different, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was a gam gamble, gamble. Each time it was a gamble. And you, you go, sometimes you have big choices to make in your life. You come to a major fork in the road. And other times they're little ones, you know, tiny ones, but they make a difference. I mean, us talking, it's a choice. You made a choice to ask me, I'll be on the show. I made a choice to say, yes, I'd love to be on the show. The things I've talked about, I've made a choice. You know, I've been much more serious talking to you than I have in a lot of other interviews. That's a choice. And, and people listening to this have the choice to either be, to go, he sounds like an asshole, or, he, um, you know, that sounds like fun, read, or that sounds interesting, and, and I'd like to do that. So who knows what effect you have on other people's lives. Each little stone is, you know, throw, goes in the water and creates ripples. And um, that's enough of the uh, metaphors for now. I'm going to start talking about the fart and poo stories in the book. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I, one thing I'm going to ask you about, Jim, because I was just like, yeah, what are you doing? Right. When you talk about the um, the, the wedding shop incident, oh, because like you're just like, oh, I can't I can't look at her. But at that point, she's already been married. So, like, why did you feel such a way? I don't know. I mean, that chapter is totally at my expense. It's called A Coward and an Idiot. And, and that was, a, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, for context of people listening, I, I was buying a, a wedding ring for, for, for my um, for the woman I was marrying at the time. And in this massive uh, shopping mall kind of thing in, in L.A., and it was totally empty. It was a Monday afternoon. And as I'm buying it, my ex was an actress called Linda Kozlowski, who I had lived with in New York, who was people know from Crocodile Dundee. And, um, and the reason we'd broken up was that I didn't want to get married. She did. And I couldn't believe the bizarre coincidence that she would come in at this moment when my wife-to-be, my mother and my sister-in-law were all there, who she had met many times. So and I just like turned my back and thought, I'm just going to, how, what do I do? Do I just be a man and, and say hi, or do I be a mouse, a coward, and, and try and hide? And I chose the latter. And and I got, and the woman behind the counter went, this uh, credit card is a bit faded. Is it P-I-D-D-O-C-K? Is, is it Piddock? And I was like, oh, yes, yes, shut up, shut up. And then, and then my sister-in-law, who hadn't seen my ex-girlfriend, went, so Jim, um, when, when do you think that the marriage, you know, well, she said to uh, so do you think that you're ready for the wedding? And, uh, it was just one thing after another. And in the end, I just kind of, I literally sloped, I sloped out of that, that, uh, that store as quickly as I could without ever confronting the situation. It was shameful. It was shameful.
I mean, if, if it happened a month after you telling her, I don't want to get married, I could understand. But... Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was just bizarre. I mean, it was so odd. It was such a, an odd thing to, um, to happen in so many ways. I mean, there's, there's a number of really strange coincidences in the book that do make you wonder, is there some, is there some puppet master somewhere playing, you know, uh, taking the piss out of us and putting us together to collide at certain moments. I have no idea, but but it makes you it makes you ask those questions. <laughs> yeah, that that one definitely made. But I I will say with the whole toilet thing and the lock that did confound me at one point. But luckily, I did not have my trousers around my ankles. Yes. <laughs> I think that, that's a relatable story, but very few people have actually been caught and been <laughs> really caught in a yes. horrendous way. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But uh, as I say, you know, I, listen, the book, if nothing else, is brutally honest about myself, my shortcomings. And that wasn't a shortcoming necessarily. Um, but uh, and, and there's one chapter where I start out saying, here are 10 A-list actors, nine I loved, and I'll tell you why. And one I thought was a four asterisks. And you can substitute whatever word you like for the four asterisks. And I then proceed to do it. And I don't do it in a mean way at all. And I, and I explain why I like these people. And I rehabilitate some of those because a lot of candidates for the four asterisks, uh, some of them are people who have notoriously bad reputations. And I say that in my experience, they did this, this, and this. And I thought they were terrific. And then when I come to the person by default, who is the uh, four asterisks, I really let them have it. You know, I, I don't hold back and they're very well known and I don't care because I've earned the right. If I'm going to be this honest with myself, in my, I'm now in my 60s. I've worked for 44 years in show business. I've earned the right to speak my mind and call out bad behavior, as I think we all do in any field. And, and I do it on sets. If I see someone doing not behaving correctly or being rude to people, I quietly take them aside and say, Look, you know, it's just not, you can't do that. It's not, it's, it's not productive. It's not going to get the best out of people. Mm. And I feel I've earned that right. And no one seems to tell me to shut up, which is good. Um, and obviously, when you're in your 20s, you wouldn't be quite so bold um, because you go, well, I'm never going to work again. But in my 20s, I would have had nothing to write about anyway. So it's, it's a moot point. Um, but, but I do think that's important. And, and I think that, you know, one has a responsibility to, um, to call out bad behavior and not, again, in a mean way, in a humorous way, if you can. And um, in a way that's sort of like, why would you do that? It's not correct. And, um, and by the way, if I, you know, have ever behaved badly, I would hope people would call me out on it. Mm. No, I, I, I feel that's uh, a fair thing to do. Yeah. But um, what, because, you know, I, as you said earlier, right, there, there is, you do swear in the book, which is fine. But then other times, you know, you do the four asterisks, or sometimes you'll mention someone's name and other times you don't, right? So what made you make, like, when you're doing that, where do you go, actually, I'm not going to use the name here. That's or a that's a really good question because mostly I do. I do mm. name and shame, and that's why the book's getting quite a bit of attention because most memoirs don't. And I only didn't do it when I felt that there was it was more harm than good. There was one incident where there was a studio executive who was a very big drug addict, um, and his behavior was awful, and I give him a pseudonym in the story and explain what he did. And I, and I think that's that's correct, because I've no idea whether he's... This was a long time ago, by the way. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's still alive. I don't know whether he's cleaned himself out. I know he was in rehab the last I heard. And um, I feel that that's doesn't, there's nothing to be gained by that. And it's a long time ago. And that, that may be when someone's distant past. So that I felt was one. And there was another story, I think, that I, a director who I don't name by name, and uh, because he does so much good work. And it was really just a slightly, you know, it, it wasn't a terrible thing he did. It was just sort of slightly, you know, oblivious. Uh, and so I thought that was not right. And I took a story out of the book of a very major, major star who behaved really badly uh, at a dinner party that I, that I held. And um, uh, I sort of kind of got my own back during the dinner party. But I, I took the story out because I remembered that she had written a very long apologetic letter afterwards. For right, her, right. Apologizing for her behavior. And, um, and without any prompting. Mm. And I thought, you know what? That no harm, no foul. That that's fair game, and I have no right to dig that story up. It's it, that just becomes cheap name dropping. And by the way, there's a lot of shameless name dropping in this book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 go you go on that front, Jim. <laughs> uh, yeah, name dropping for England, that chapter. Um, but but I again, I think people enjoy that. If it's not just sort of look at me, I'm so so big because I know all these people. I don't need to do that. That is my life. I spend my entire life socializing or, or working with major stars and minor stars and, you know, people like me. So I have, you know, that, I don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that's what people want. Give the people what they want. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. And don't worry about giving the people what they want, right? So you've got a new film that, um, is going in production for Netflix. Is that correct? Frankel? Is it Frankel? No, it's not Netflix. It's an independent movie. Uh, yeah, it's called Frankel about the horse. Frankel, it's a it's sort of an English sea biscuit type story. Um, fantastic story. Uh, with Jeremy Irons going to play Sir Henry Cecil, who is the horse's trainer. Um, so that's supposed to be shooting in the summer. Um, the Netflix, the thing that was a film I did with Christopher Guest called Mascots. That was a film that I wrote with Chris and he and I both started and we produced as well and Chris directed it. So yeah, that was uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like, are you enjoying the writing, producing more than the, the acting starring in things or is it just like that transitional period where you'll do one and then you'll go back to the other? Yeah, I tend to flip backwards and forwards. I mean, certain years I do more writing and producing and other years I do more acting. Um, I think if uh, people say, you know, I'm often asked, you know, if you had to choose, which would you choose? And I say, look, if someone held a gun to my head, which thankfully has never happened in my life, I would say acting because that was my first love and that I enjoy it. And it's easier. It's easier. You know, I just show up. I learn my lines. And, you know, theatre is a whole different animal. That was kind of hard work. Um, but TV and film, you know, you learn your lines, you, you get a million takes if you need it, uh, usually. And so it's kind of almost like a vacation now when I go and act <clears throat> from from the, the, the hard work of writing. Mm, mm. And uh, you're learning to write more roles for yourself when you do these things. I've got to start that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I talked to Jason Siegel about that, who, who there's a casual name drop. Um, and Jason, you know, was a, an actor and then became a writer uh, and a director as well. And, and, and he said his entire acting career would never have happened unless he'd written himself great parts. And I 
just have never done that. I, they are two very separate parts of my brain and I write what I want to write. And then I get to the point where we're sort of casting it and I go, oh, what, what, what can I play? <laughs> like a, a couple of scenes. Um, uh, and, then, uh, and then I end up doing that or not. Uh, there was a movie called Tooth Fairy, which um, mm. a lot of people have seen. And, and I, I wanted to be in that because it, it had um, Stephen Merchant Julie Andrews and The Rock, obviously, in it, and various other people, Billy Crystal. And I said to Fox, I said, I, I, can't I just play one of the old British, you know, fairies in this? And they said, no, no, in fact, no, sorry, I didn't. I said, I want to be in the movie, and I, I could be at one of the people in Fairyland. And they said, um, no, there's, we've already got too many old British fairies in the movie. And, I, and my response was, that's three lawsuits right there, matey. <laughs> Free discrimination lawsuit, old British fairy, and uh, but they still didn't bend, so I never was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting thing I was thinking about with that one because you wrote the story for Tooth Fairy, not the script. I did, yeah. I wrote the story, um, and uh, that that was kind of a um, that was an, an interesting choice because I, I kind of I didn't. Um, I didn't want to write the actual screenplay. I, I'd sort of decided uh, that that I'd sort of been in um, all sorts of. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd written those types of movies, um, and and I didn't feel like I needed to do another one. Um, and I wanted to write something else at that time. So I said to the producer, "Look, I'll write the whole outline for the movie, and I'll produce it with you. But but we'll find some some good writers who can do big studio movies, you know, family movies." Mm. Uh, and they, we did. We found Lau Gans and Babalu Mandel who've done a million big Hollywood family movies, and, and that was a smart choice because they did a great job. And then we had um, we had Randy Mayam Singer come in to do a, a rewrite, uh, and and um, and and that was good. I, I I have to say I've got to go. I've got yes, I, I used to see that, and I apologise. But um, but that 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 is the story of my life right now, and and um, I have to give the BBC a bit of time. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, I apologise to have to jump off, and I usually give people uh, as much as they need. Yeah, uh, no problem. Just before you quickly go, Jim, just let people know where they can follow you. Yes, uh, jimpiddock.com uh, is my website uh, at real Jim Piddock on Twitter uh, and. Uh, at Jim Pitter on Instagram. Um, so you can find me at any of those places. And if, if you look like you're not a serial killer, you'll probably be, um, you know, <laughs> inducted into the cult. And, um, you know, please, please, please buy the book uh, because I didn't mention that all the proceeds that I received from the book are going to three different charities. So in, including one for Ukrainian refugees. So I will not be making a cent or a penny out of this movie. Uh, of this movie, out of this book. Um, so, yeah, if, if not for, or I have now, I have my call. I have, this is the BBC calling. It's All right. lovely. Yeah. I will... You go. Take care. Thanks, okay. Jim. Appreciate okay. it. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Well, so there you go. Hey. All the links for Jim are in the episode, so go um, go give him a follow. There's uh, an order for the book, so you can go. If, you, if it sounds like it's your thing, go check that, right? And 
obviously, people, you gotta go check the stone giant Luke Smithard. Hey, when has he ever let us down, right? When has Luke ever let us down? So go check out the book. Two books for you, people. Two books for you. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, there you go. We are done for this episode. And, um, yeah, we, we're going to get back on track. Things have just been a bit nuts. But, yeah, we're getting back on track, people. Don't worry. Don't worry. So until next time, peace.